saying this on tape. She hit me last night for no reason. For her. Firefox's movie bomb. I mean, it, it, it does beg the question, what has gone wrong with young Hollywood? Honest to God, what is the problem? Hello and welcome to the inaugural episode of my new podcast, Lay Do You Remember This, where we look back on all the Hollywood stories of the early aughts. A time in history when America found out that with a trust fund, a sex tape, and a dream, you too could become a star. This is the first episode in a mini-series about the blonde reality star who started it all, Julie from Real World New Orleans. From being a Mormon virgin to missing her American Airlines flight from Boston and thus sleeping through 9-11, and nothing in between. Unfortunately, it turns out there wasn't a whole lot out there on Julie, so I had to move on to the other blonde reality star who started it all, Paris Hilton. In the first decade of the 21st century, Paris not only started it all, she was the center of it. As Mark Ebner describes in his book, The Six Degrees of Paris Hilton, she is, quote, the celestial body around which all planets seem to revolve. She is the you are here sign in the universal shopping mall that is post-capitalism. I don't know, whatever. But what is the all that she started? For one, between her sex tape and the success of her reality show The Simple Life, people became fixated on the concept of being famous just for being famous. This then made way for a litany of new reality show stars who were offered the same level of exposure and platforms as people who had notoriety for actually accomplishing something. So I guess the other all that she started was the downfall of American democracy, whether indirectly, but definitely directly. Paris totally voted for Trump. You might assume Paris wouldn't bother to vote, but this time she had a favor to repay. 13 years prior, Donald had gone out of his way to write a blurb for the jacket of her book, Confessions of an Heiress. But we'll delve deeper into that classic piece of literature a little more in a future episode. Paris's rise to fame also marks the huge surge in celebrity news coverage, with websites like Daily Mail and TMZ who seem to delight in the exposure and humiliation of Hollywood's female stars. So with that in mind, the aim of this podcast won't be to echo the tone of that sort of pop culture reporting. I may be snarky, but there will be no slut shaming, fat shaming, skinny shaming, etc. Don't worry, there's still other shaming to be shamed, that's not sexist. Because this might be a show contributing to the glamorization of excessive partying, velour tracksuits, and celebrity worship, but by god, I'm a feminist, and I will conduct myself as such, or at least I will try to, like, really hard. This series is by no means meant to be an exhaustive biographical account of Paris Hilton, but more so an overview of her greatest hits. And I'm not talking about her song Stars Are Blind. Or the time Shayna Mokler allegedly hit her. Or the time Paris Hilton allegedly hit Lindsay Lohan. Which segues us seamlessly into the topic of our first episode. Feud, colon, Paris and Lindsay. 
I'm starting this podcast series with the slow burn fallout of Paris and Lindsay because I think their saga captures both the spirit of Hollywood in the early aughts as well as the spirit of this podcast. So let's dive in nose first, shall we? It's April 27th, 2006. A 25-year-old Paris Hilton is away in Austria at the top of the Mountain Music Festival, getting paid a reported half a million dollars to introduce Pink as the headlining musical act. There could be a potential confrontation of Bruin, as Pink had released her video for the song Stupid Girls a few months before where she mocks Paris's 2003 sex tape. Other A-plus commentary included in the video is Pink taking a stand against both tiny chihuahuas and women suffering from bulimia, two groups that at this point in time had been skating by scot-free for far too long. A source said, It cut oh, kick off. Pink is known for her outspoken ways, and Paris isn't one to shy away from confrontation. Surely everyone was disappointed when the big night came and went without a dust-up. Little did Paris know that the real trouble was happening at home in Los Angeles, all at the freckly hands of little Gingy. While Paris is away enjoying the snow Austria has to offer, Lindsay Lohan is spotted at a party in Beverly Hills with Paris's boyfriend Stavros Niarkos. At this point, Lindsay is staying slash living at the Chateau Marmont while she does press for her movie Just My Luck slated to come out in early May. The movie was a romantic tragedy about a young red-headed woman at the top of her field, the world at her feet, until one day, through a series of unfortunate events, she loses her lucky streak, her career and life are irreparably damaged, end of movie. Co-starring Chris Pine. Besides the Beverly Hills house party, over Paris's weekend away, Lindsay and Stavros are seen dirty dancing at Element and later spotted leaving Lindsay's hotel room. This all must have come as a shock to Paris, as only a little over a week before, she and Stavros had spent his 21st birthday together in Las Vegas, all kisses and smiles. Yes, how could Paris have ever known that Stavros Niarkos, professional kiteboarder and Greek shipping heir, was a philanderer? Sure, he abruptly left Mary-Kate Olsen for Paris back in October 2005, rendering the tiny twin heartbroken, but Paris was different. Paris was special. Paris should have taken her own advice. In her book published three years before, she writes, And most important to remember, if a guy cheated with you on his girlfriend, he'll do it to you too. News of the possible cheating must have made its way across the Atlantic because after Paris returned home on May 1st, she was immediately seen out and about with a new guy, Matt Leinhart. A real catch, he was to be featured in the upcoming May 2006 People's 100 Most Beautiful issue. The 6'5", 22-year-old Heisman Trophy winner probably could have been a neurosurgeon if he hadn't settled on being a football player. In a quote to People magazine, Matt says, I love showering. There's nothing better than a hot shower after a workout or a hot practice. I'll say. Paris and Matt spend the day together at the LA Outdoor Shopping Center, The Grove. Clearly, she didn't want to be seen with one of People's 100 Most Smartest Bachelors, since Paris wore a brunette wig so she could go completely incognito. Later that evening, they ended up at the club Shag. Stavros just so happened to be there too, surely not at all coordinated by Paris. But spotted they were, and it seems Stavros was none too pleased over what he saw. At some point, Paris went home, and by 1am, Stavros showed up at Paris's front door, screaming and begging to be let in. 
Paris eventually came outside where they screamed at each other for a little while, neighbors be damned, until Paris went back inside, leaving Stavros literally sprawled out on her driveway until 9am when he finally took a cab home. Later in the day, one of Paris's publicists, Lori Glass, confirms that the two had officially broken up. In the meantime, Lindsay goes back to New York to attend the Just My Luck premiere, while Paris coddles her simmering rage in Los Angeles. By May 12th, Lindsay returns to LA and has a run-in with Paris, which brings us to what we would call the official start date of their feud together. Of course, the most accepted reasoning for their bad blood is Lindsay hooking up with Stavros, though there was one report to TMZ that Paris was upset that Lindsay name-dropped her during her Just My Luck press tour. But I don't really buy that. Why would she be mad about getting more media coverage, particularly since it wasn't negative? I think perhaps this source was really one of Paris's people trying to get ahead of the real story and pivot from the narrative that someone could steal a man from Paris Hilton. That obviously didn't work when it was widely reported on that Lindsay was caught with Stavros. By this point, Lindsay and Paris had been friends for at least a few years, but according to Lindsay, they had known each other since she was 15 and Paris was 20. Lindsay wasn't some anonymous woman with no allegiance to Paris. Lindsay, for sure, done did her dirty, and this was the type of grievous offense that Paris didn't take lightly. In her book, she says, A true heiress is never mean to anyone except a girl who steals her boyfriend. And who can blame Paris for being mad? Probably Mary-Kate Olsen. Regardless, Lindsay betrayed her friend. But was it the first time? When Lindsay returns from New York, one of her first stops is the Race to a Race MS party at the Century Plaza Hotel. This year's theme, Disco Fever. Lindsay appears on stage hand-in-hand hand with none other than Nicole Richie, who is already a full year into her feud with Paris. This, by itself, could come off as a subtle F.U. from Lindsay to anyone paying attention. But this wasn't the first time Nicole and Lindsay tried their darndest to cure multiple sclerosis by mainlining vodka Red Bulls all night. The year before, on April 22, 2005, Nicole and Lindsay were holding hands on the purple carpet a mere two days after Paris made a statement to the press that her friendship with Nicole was officially over. Lindsay was friends with both Paris and Nicole, and it seems like sides were chosen. Maybe Lindsay didn't mean to look like she was picking a team, but the optics were what they were. So I submit for your approval the possibility of an alternative start date to the Lindsay-Paris feud a full year earlier. Yes, a few days after the 2005 MS party, Lindsay and Paris are seen together at a happy birthday Marilyn Monroe party. But as you'll see, Paris and Lindsay's relationship from 2006 to 2013 was always up and down. Plus, even if she was mad at Lindsay, I suspect that Paris wouldn't stop hanging out with her. Because in 2005, Lindsay was a higher status celebrity, at least among the Hollywood in-crowd. It was only a year after Mean Girls, and although Lindsay had started to get some bad press as a party girl, at this point she still maintained some public and industry goodwill. People still appreciated that despite aligning herself with the famous-for-nothing reality TV crowd, Lindsay, at least, was famous for her talent. But if gal palling around with Nicole did hurt Paris' feelings back in 2005, I can imagine that seeing Lindsay cheating with Stavros, her boyfriend of seven months, would be a bit of a gut punch. Then a few days later, she sees Lindsay partying with her estranged childhood best friend. 
that could only have added more fuel to the fire crotch, which we'll get to in a minute. After the race to race MS party, Lindsay ended up at Hyde Lounge, which had just opened that month. TMZ reported that inside the club, Paris and Lindsay got into a huge screaming match, though Paris's people tried to downplay the incident. Her other publicist, Elliot Mince, was on the case. You might remember Elliot on this past season of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills when he made an appearance at Dorit and PK's dinner party. Not familiar? Remember when everyone got up to, allegedly, do coke with Boy George in the bathroom and Lisa Rinna was left at the table, narrowly escaping her untimely murder at the hands of Robert Durst? That was actually Elliot Mintz. Or maybe it was the jinx. Let's have him address a ransom note to Harry Hamlin and see how he spells Beverly Hills before we make our final verdict. Back to Paris. So, Elliot Durst releases a statement about the incident at Hyde, saying... Inside the club, Paris was having a conversation with a couple of friends. Lindsay approached her table, and at that moment, Paris felt she was being interrupted and didn't wish to speak with Lindsay. A couple of words were exchanged, and Lindsay went back to her table. I'm not sure how a grown man could elect to make their living as a 25-year-old heiress's publicist and not be a serial killer. At this point in May, there hadn't been any hard evidence that these two women were actually fighting with each other. Anonymous sources reported to TMZ their alleged eyewitness accounts and interpretations of events, but that was about it. We knew for sure that Stavros and Paris had broken up, but maybe Lindsay had nothing to do with it. Maybe she and Stavros bumped into each other a few times throughout that April weekend, exchanged pleasantries, and carried on with the rest of their respective evenings. Maybe Lindsay and Paris did just have a mature exchanging of words at Hyde. Just your everyday meeting of the minds. Two young adults discussing what is the appropriate social etiquette when approaching a close acquaintance at their bottle service table. Maybe our gals were just another example of women being pitted against each other by the sexist media. Luckily, there was someone brave enough to step in and clear things up. Enter Brandon Davis, heir to an oil tycoon and all-around grease stain on civil society. You surely remember what's coming up. On a night out with Paris and Nikki Hilton, Brandon tells the paparazzi that Lindsay Lohan is a fire crotch. In fact, some blogs credit Brandon for coining the term fire crotch. I'd like to take this moment to make sure everyone listening knows that is patently untrue. That unimaginative lump of wasted privilege does not deserve that level of distinction. Anyway, while the term fire crotch was what stuck for most people, Brandon had actually gone on a three and a half minute rant about Lindsay. He walked several blocks while paparazzi followed him with video cameras capturing what could only be described as a Sorkin-esque walk and talk. If I didn't know any better, I'd say I was watching Matthew Perry in a Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip deleted scene. The monologue was shot in one dazzling take, with the crescendo of this masterpiece being a paparazzo walking into a moving vehicle. I had originally planned on transcribing the piece and performing it for you all, but it's so vulgar that I lost my nerve. I've put my mother through enough. As it is, I don't know how she's going to explain this podcast to her friends at work. But I'll give you the rundown, and basically, the gist of his rant has mostly to do with Lindsay's nethers. Its color, its smell, the humidity level. Brandon really demonstrates his flair and appreciation for the English language as he paints a grotesque yet whimsical picture, most notably that her vagina shits freckles. From there, Brandon moves on to disparaging Lindsay's ex-boyfriend, Wilmer Valderrama, eventually asking if he's in a quote, like a Mahara mariachi band. 
He finishes the sentence in what seems to be an Indian accent. So he's definitely going for something racist, but it seems like he realizes mid-sentence that he isn't sure of Wilmer's race and tries to cover all of his bases. In this video, it's really obvious to see what Paris likes about Brandon. The whole time, she can't stop giggling. And when you're going through a breakup, it's so great to have friends that really make you laugh. They also just have a lot in common. They're rich, white, and at different times have both been caught on videotape calling someone the N-word. Yep, Paris and Brandon basically grew up together. And in this town, it's important to surround yourself with people who know the real you. Later on in the summer, both women seem to keep themselves busy with new men in their lives. Paris is briefly rumored to potentially be dating Brandon Davis, but by mid-July, it turns out that Paris and Stavros Niarchos are actually back together. Lohan, on the other hand, kept herself occupied with production on Georgia Rule and her new boyfriend, Harry Morton, the young owner of the restaurant chain Pink Taco. Yes, she started dating a man that thought Pink Taco was an appropriate and respectful name for a restaurant. Lindsay isn't known for her great decision-making skills or judgment of character. Their whirlwind romance started in July. They spent most days together, one night visiting the club and this podcast's namesake, Lay Do, with Nicole Ritchie. The next night, hitting up David Spade's karaoke-themed birthday party, where Lindsay, David, and Senator Kid Rock performed a rendition of American Woman together. No wonder Lindsay was about to be hospitalized for having too much fun. It was all smooth sailing until late July, when Lindsay's Blackberry was hacked and lewd text messages were sent out to people in her contacts list. Lindsay naturally accused Paris of being behind it all. It was an obvious conclusion to jump to, considering Paris is an esteemed computer programmer with an axe to grind. But alas, Paris was pretty quickly cleared of any wrongdoing. As the summer chugs along, things really started to get crazy for Lindsay. At the end of July, she's hospitalized for exhaustion, and then she received a letter from the head of the production company on Georgia Rule, condemning her lack of professionalism and heavy partying. By autumn, she'd lost an Hermes bag at Heathrow Airport, been caught by paparazzi sans pantaloons, and broken her wrist at a New York City Fashion Week party. Finally, it all becomes too much for sober Harry, who dumps her by September 22nd. And here's where it all gets confusing. About a day before Harry dumps Lindsay, Lindsay and Paris get into a fight at an Us Weekly party, where someone overheard Paris telling Lindsay that she, quote, never hit on your boyfriend. Paris's publicist, Elliot Jinks, deftly cleans up the mess by telling the press that I was at the party. I remember Lindsay arriving and them having a lovely conversation by the pool. Then a few days later, Lindsay is seen partying and making out with Stavros, who he thought was back with Paris, right? No. In August, they broke up again at P. Diddy's white party in Saint-Tropez. However, during all of this time in the fall, Paris is still seen around town with Stavros, who apparently must be some Greek god with a platinum penis that ejaculates cocaine and a butt that shits kits and gift cards. And despite Lindsay getting caught again with this magical square-jawed pegasus, a month later, she's seen leaving a party at Paris's house. Her house! Paris invited her to enter her sacred space, the home where Tinkerbell lays her tiny chihuahua head down at night. It seems unfathomable. But it turns out this whole time Paris had something up her sleeve, because then Life & Style magazine reported that Harry slept over Paris's house on November 7th. And with that, Paris finally got her revenge. 
Meanwhile, somewhere in Malibu, a little Louisiana debutante is breaking the heart of a backup dancer from Fresno, or something like that. But we'll talk about that in a minute. The night after Harry and Paris's slumber party, Lindsay Lohan confronts Paris at the club Teddy's. Then, later that night, as Lindsay is leaving the Roosevelt, she tells paparazzi cameras that Paris is a cunt. Apparently, it's never occurred to any of these people to go home early for once and use the rest of that cocaine high to finally finish reading that Nicholas Sparks novel that's been sitting on their nightstand for months. A couple weeks later, we've hit mid-November. Only November. There's still a whole month left of 2006. It's all just a real testament to how much you can accomplish in a year with an endless supply of Adderall keeping you awake and angry. But finally, we've made it to the Britney portion of our presentation. While Britney's part in the feud of Lindsay and Paris is merely a short chapter in a long novel, it's still my favorite part of the saga, mostly because of the iconic photos it resulted in. So by November 2006, Britney's public and personal life had been on the decline for years. Though the most serious parts of Britney's mental breakdown occur in 2007 and 2008, it was a slow build-up to the inevitable explosion. In 2003, Britney had released her album In The Zone, which won her some critical praise and her only Grammy for her song Toxic. For this album, she assumed a little more creative control, and it was working out for her. It seemed like everything was coming up Britney, until January 2004. In Vegas, Britney made her first big slip-up marrying Jason Alexander. Yes, shallow house Jason Alexander. The marriage was annulled 55 hours later. The next two years were fraught with bad publicity. She met Kevin Federline, who left his pregnant girlfriend Char Jackson for her. Britney thought to herself, that seems like a quality dude to bet on, and they quickly got married. She got pregnant, and then by 2005, Britney is dangling her brand new baby son by the ankle through the streets of Los Angeles. Between driving around with little Sean Preston on her lap, and another time tripping on her wedges nearly dropping the baby, people were scrutinizing her abilities as a parent. Then, before she ever gets a grasp on how to keep the first one alive, she accidentally ends up pregnant with her second child. In a twist no one saw coming, reports begin to surface that Kevin and Brittany are on the verge of splitting up. In an interview with Matt Lauer in June, Brittany denies these claims in between loud gum chewing. But on November 7th, two months after giving birth to Jane and James, Brittany sends a text to Kevin saying, I want to divorce you. It's been a long three years for Brittany. It's probably just been a long 13 years for Brittany at this point. Other than a Greatest Hits album release, she hasn't been working much, and the 24-year-old doesn't seem like she's been taking very good care of herself. She's been doing a lot of partying. She's looking unshowered and unkempt, probably subsisting solely off of vanilla frappuccinos. She looks like a different Britney. It feels pretty obvious that someone should intervene before things get worse. Lucky for Britney, that person was Paris Hilton. Paris and Britney were never really seen much together up until this point, so it seemed strange that they became friends seemingly overnight, suddenly spending days on end with each other. On November 20th, Britney leaves her babies Sean Preston and Jaden James at home while she goes to Vegas with Paris. They ate at Tao and partied at Club Trist, and all the while Britney is wearing this bizarre outfit for a night out as a young woman black pants with fishnets underneath, 
a silky white button-down, and a black tie with rhinestones. It's a real Liza Minnelli as a cater waiter vibe. However, as evidenced in the pictures taken over the course of the night, Brittany seems to be wearing less and less of this outfit as the night goes on, eventually just electing to wear the shirt and fishnets. Arguably, another very Liza move. The next day in LA, Brittany partied at Paris's after the AMA Awards. The night after that, they partied together at Teddy's. While they were inside, Lindsay pulled up to the venue blasting Kevin Federline's album, reportedly saying that she found Britney's ex sexy and that maybe she'd hook up with him. Britney was apparently overheard saying, Tell her, please, seriously, take him. Then they took some time off to celebrate Thanksgiving. Paris with her family enjoying some turkey, and Britney, hopefully with her family, probably enjoying some Cheetos and collard greens. After that much-needed reset, they were ready to start all over again on Saturday when Paris came to Britney's home in Malibu, where they went shopping with Sean Preston at Planet Blue. Then they dumped the kid to head back to Los Angeles to go partying at Hyde. That night, Paris and Britney left Hyde and stopped by an after-hours house party in Mount Olympus, an area of the Hollywood Hills. This party was also attended by none other than Lindsay D. Lohan. Inside, a scuffle between the three occurred, and some say that Lindsay was escorted out by security. As she was entering her home, also known as the Chateau Marmont, our little Eloise regaled the paparazzi with a tale of how Paris accosted her. I'm seeing this on tape. She hit me for no reason, apparently, at my friend's house. I didn't know she would be there, and she hit me with a drink and poured it all over me. It hurts, and it's not okay. I'm sorry for everyone who thinks I'm crazy, but I'm just trying to act. And with that, she entered her home, also known to some as the place where John Belushi OD'd. Elliot Mintz later told paparazzi that there was indeed a fight, but it was Lindsay who poured a drink on Paris and Brittany. No matter which way it went, Paris must have somehow put the fear of God into Lindsay. The next night, Paris leads a barely with it Brittany to her car, opens the door for her, and guides her inside. A moment later, Elliot Mintz leads Lindsay by the arm to the car, when Paris shouts, Lindsay! Hey, babe. Tell them the truth! To which she replies, Paris never hit me. She's my friend. Everyone lies about everything. She never did that. She's a good girl. She's a nice person. And with that, Lindsay gets into the car, and the three witches from Macbeth escape into the dark and rainy night the ideal conditions for drunk broom riding. The ladies hit up guys in West Hollywood, then an after party at the Beverly Hills Hotel, hosted by none other than Brandon Greasy Bear Davis. They ended the night with a sleepover at Paris's. But as quickly as the friendship of Paris and Brittany began, it ended. The next week, Brittany had her birthday party and didn't invite Paris. According to Us Weekly, she told Paris that it quote, wasn't personal. Although, I have a feeling Brittany just never spoke to Paris again, and one of her handlers told her that it wasn't personal. This would seem to be a good sign for Brittany's well-being, cutting off ties with a hurricane like Paris, but of course we know what's to come in 2007, which we'll deep dive into in a future Brittany series. A few weeks after Brittany's birthday, Paris leaves her off her Christmas party invite list, and allegedly calls her an animal behind her back. 2006, it certainly was a doozy. Lindsay and Paris had been through so much together as well as individually and came out of it learning nothing. On January 1st, 2007,
the gals ushered in a new year. While 2006 was a fun and reckless good time, 2007 was when all the chickens came to roost. During this time and the years that came after, their public spats became more rare, possibly because the stakes of what was going on in their lives got a lot higher. There wasn't as much of a need to keep themselves busy by creating chaos between each other, because at this point, chaos was tailing them like they were the perp, and chaos was Sandra Bullock and miscongeniality, or murder by numbers. Maybe our brand is crisis, but I've never seen it. Same with the heat, probably also Ocean's 8, Anyway, chaos followed those two like it was a bus with no brakes, cruising through Sunset Boulevard. By mid-January, Lindsay was in rehab, and in May, Paris went to prison. That is some serious stuff that might really make you rethink your life and your choices. Or just make you think, eh, this is all kind of working for me, actually. Of course, that is a flippant thing to say. Lindsay has a serious disease because after 30 days in rehab, by May, she gets caught drunk driving and goes back to rehab. In June, Paris gets out of prison and goes on Larry King's show for an interview. He asks her pointedly what she thinks of Lindsay, and she says she wishes the best for her. He then asks, does she ever visit her friends in rehab? Paris says she doesn't have any friends in rehab. But Lindsay's in rehab, so Lindsay isn't her friend. Except she does show up to Lindsay's 4th of July party in Malibu that same month. With this information, I really go back and forth on whether what Paris was doing here was malicious. Paris is five years older than Lindsay, and at this point, she knows that Lindsay is clearly an addict. There's no plausible deniability there. Why go to this party? Why would anyone in Hollywood go to this party? It's kind of amazing to me that all the celebrities who ended up there didn't think any better of it. Maybe that's naive because I'm just like a really good person, but it's one thing to see Lindsay out at a club. That's not anyone's responsibility to do anything about. But Paris continued to invite Lindsay over to party or out to party all the way up to 2012. In between two additional stints in rehab throughout her troubles with the law, Paris, as well as everyone else in Hollywood, continued to facilitate her drinking and drug use. Her physical appearance deteriorates and ages so rapidly over these few years. It's hard to think that Paris and her friends could just look at Lindsay and not feel worse about enabling her. Again, maybe I'm just like a really good person. It reminds me of Paris's illustrious week with Britney in 2006. You can tell just by looking at Britney that she doesn't seem all there. Her hair is unwashed, her extensions askew, her eyes don't have much behind them. And this whole time, Paris, who during this week always seems to be pretty sober and in control, is ushering her around by the hand, trotting her out to paparazzi. It makes me wonder, is this just a profoundly immature person with really awful judgment, or is it something more sinister? But what's even more curious to me is what Paris says in her book, Confessions of an Heiress. My best kept party secret. At parties, everyone always thinks I'm drinking, but actually I rarely drink. After going on about how great vitamin water is, she continues. But it doesn't bother me when my friends drink. I think it's fun to watch people who are wasted. It's weird to watch it all. You really read people a lot better. It's funny to watch people and realize how dumb they look. But sometimes I'm up till five in the morning from all the caffeine I've had. Still, I prefer to be over-caffeinated to being totally out of it. Maybe that was just something they added to a book marketed to teen girls to make sure they weren't glamorizing alcohol. 
It for sure sounds like something she would be told to say in a YM magazine interview. But Nick Carter, Paris's ex-boyfriend, did say in his memoir, Facing the Music and Living to Talk About It, that Paris, quote, fed his worst influences as far as partying. Who knows, but I could see a world where a frenemy holding a serious grudge might enjoy liquoring up a person who just can't help but imbibe, just to see if they'll make a fool of themselves. But Nick Carter was also a physically abusive turd to Paris, allegedly, so I don't really want to take his word for it. Through more research on Paris, I did start to consider a third option. So in 2007, Paris neglected to pay the monthly rent on her storage unit for a few months. Because of this, the owner sold off the contents of the unit. Everything in it was later posted online to the website called Paris Exposed. There's lots of juicy little nuggets in there, but one that applies specifically to this. It's a to-do list. One of the first two points on that list are one, be sober, and two, go to AA at least twice a week. Paris also went to a high school for emotionally troubled youth for a while during her junior year. So I wonder, at this point when she's partying with Lindsay, is she too just someone in the throes of addiction and everyone around Paris is just enabling her too? Or is this something she took care of in her youth and thus should definitely know better than anyone else that Lindsay needs help? I guess we'll never know. Oh well. So from 2007 to 2013, their relationship is up and down, though both of their careers are pretty much just down. In 2008, they have a standoff at a pre-Grammy party, apparently fighting over their competing music careers. But they reconciled again, and in 2009, Paris and Lindsay go out partying together with the man who made it all happen, Stavros Niarchos. In 2010, photos from 2007 of Paris and Lindsay making out leaked to the media. Those pictures also contain what appears to be Lindsay intravenously injecting something, hopefully insulin. Or more likely, that part of the picture was fake. The making out looks pretty real, though. In 2011, as their careers sunk even lower, they're offered $500,000 to box each other, which Lindsay probably considered doing. She needed the money at this point, and her dad could have given her some pointers. He had previously gotten paid to box Danny Bonaducci in competition for the title of Father of the Year. The boxing match never happened, but a few months later, Paris makes fun of Lindsay on her new and short-lived reality show, The World According to Paris. In it, a low-income woman compliments Paris's earrings. Paris gives them to her, and when the woman thanks her, she mistakes her for Lindsay Lohan, to which Paris replies, If I were Lindsay, I'd be stealing earrings, not giving them away. At the time, Lindsay was in legal trouble for being caught wearing a stolen $2,000 necklace. But again, by July, Lindsay is hanging out with Paris and Brandon Davis, though a source says they were hanging out just because they all wanted to be famous again, and being together made a better picture. The source was probably just an Us Weekly staff writer with half a brain. It's smooth sailing until 2012, when they allegedly get into it at a Lady Gaga perfume party, but I don't necessarily buy that this one wasn't just made up by another source. In August 2013, Paris again says that she wishes the best for Lindsay and Brittany, and this is where I wish we could say that the three of them rode off into the Sunset Strip, best friends forever. But alas, it all ended for good in December of that year. Lindsay, who was definitely totally sober, attended Art Basel because she is a purveyor of modern art and not because she just wanted to party in Miami. Paris, who definitely loves art and not just multicolored Andy Warhol ripoff prints of herself, 
also attended with her sister Nikki and little brother Baron. Paris and Lindsay didn't appear to be hanging out, though Lindsay did manage to get a photo with Paris's former assistant Kim Kardashian. Lindsay did, however, end up at a party with Baron Hilton. Lindsay was staying for the week in a friend of a friend's mansion, which is where the party took place. A 24-year-old Baron showed up with some friends. The details are, of course, disputed, but according to him, at some point, someone accused him of talking shit, as the kids say, about Lindsay. When she catches wind of this show of disrespect, her blood boils and Staten Island rage courses through her veins. She has no choice but to order a hit on Baron. Her lackey, the man who was renting the mansion, happily accepts his assignment and beats Baron bloody, while the freckled mob queen cackles in the background. Lindsay naturally denies this account of events. First, she says she left the party before Baron ever got there. This ends up being unequivocally untrue when a video surfaces showing Lindsay and Baron confronting each other outside the party minutes after the fight. But Lindsay does say, I saw nothing. Ray Lemoyne, the man who assaulted Baron, contends that he came home to find Baron and his friends there, and when he asked them to leave, they refused. Baron snaps at him saying, Do you know who I am? Do you know who my sister is? It should be noted that at this point, the party had been going on way past sunrise, so everyone involved is presumably cooked to the gills. Cokie McHilton keeps shouting and pushing until finally, Ray had enough and punched him. Later, Baron posted a photo on Instagram of his cut-up face. Paris posted a comment on it that she later deleted, saying, They both will pay for what they did. No one fucks with my family and gets away with it. Mad face emoji. Mad face emoji. Baron filed a police report, but refused to wait for crime scene investigators to arrive to photograph his injuries. They should have just checked his Insta. After filing the initial report, he stopped cooperating with the cops and never returned any of their calls. So they just dropped it. For whatever it's worth, a Miami Beach police sergeant investigating the incident does make note that no witnesses at the party reported to officers that Lindsay ordered the beating or implicated her in any wrongdoing. Regardless, Paris made up her mind on Lindsay. A few weeks later, TMZ reporters asked her about Lindsay, to which Paris replied, She's on my naughty list this year. It can't be true. Lindsay and Paris would always reunite eventually. But when they followed up with the question, do you think you and Lindsay will ever make up? Paris gets in her car, takes a beat, no, and shuts the door. To Paris's credit, she is very close with her family and is extremely loyal to them. Stealing a boyfriend she could get past, but no one messes with her family. Lindsay probably didn't have anything to do with Baron's beating, but Paris would never take her word over his. It would be brohams before lohans, and no one could ever convince her otherwise. This podcast was researched, written, narrated, and edited by me, Darlene. If you like this podcast, please make sure you're subscribed on iTunes. If you can, rate and review. It helps people find the podcast. If you're a Lindsay or Paris stan and you didn't like something I said about them, please be cool. I say it all with the utmost admiration. Finally, please follow Lay Do You Remember This on Instagram and like us on Facebook. Our next episode will be all about the illustrious love affairs of one Paris Hilton. So you're invited to come back next week. We've got a table. 
and I put you on the list for Lay Do You Remember This. so bad.